Welcome to episode 17 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversation with PsychArmor trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players or by going to psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by the generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. This episode is brought to you by PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military cultural content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners as well as custom training options for organizations. You can find more about PsychArmor at psycharmor.org. This week, I'm having a conversation with Michelle Norman. Michelle is a Navy spouse of 25 years and a mother of a 17-year-old daughter with cerebral palsy and multiple other disabilities. Michelle and four other military spouses founded Partners in Promise, a grassroots advocacy organization focused on educating, advising, and advocating for exceptional military families and their education. You can find out more about Michelle by taking a look at her bio in our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Michelle, you're both a military spouse and a mother of a special needs child. There is a lot of focus on the service member while in the military. We know that the family serves as much as a service member. I know that my family is very extremely important to me during my military service, and supporting the family can be even more complicated when a family member has special needs. Absolutely, Dwayne. And by the way, thank you for you and your family's service to our country. Military lifestyle, I always call this our, our Navy adventure because each day has been unique and it has been a blessing to be a part of the military community. I am a Navy spouse for over 25 years, and we are very honored to be able to serve as a military family in this community and just feeling like we belong. But there have been challenges. This lifestyle of moving every two to three years can be that Navy adventure, but at times it can have challenges when the unexpected happens. In our case, when we had our daughter, she was born prematurely 17 years ago, it put us into a different category. We felt very isolated. We felt very alone because there's a stigma. Unfortunately, there still is a stigma associated with having a child with extra needs and also not being that perfect or normal family. And in fact, we are just really trying to keep our head above water. So one good friend told me recently that we're all one breath away from EFMP. It could be you, it could be your family, your neighbor, a sailor that's serving with you. No one knows when something unexpected is going to happen with you. And when my daughter was born prematurely, it was difficult for us. We had no experience at all with the medical world. And it just, in all these medical diagnoses that were thrown to us, I will give you some background. We just moved to Virginia Beach in 2003. We were only here three to four weeks before she was born. I was completely new to the community. I had no idea really where anything was located. I remember when Marissa was born and she stayed in the hospital for eight months. And during that time, a military spouse reached out to me and said, I would love to bring you a meal. And I could not give her directions on how to get to my house. That is the sad life of moving as we do so often and not having our roots in the community. And then something unexpected happens. And I felt so embarrassed, but thank goodness for the military spouse community for 
coming and really helping us out when we truly needed it. So again, having a child with special needs in the military community is just, it it takes a toll on a family. All of this is happening, by the way, my daughter stayed in the hospital for eight months. And the only route I knew was to and from the children's hospital. And of course, during this time, my spouse was going through workups for deployment. And there were many times where we had life or death moments in the hospital. And I had to be very mindful of what I shared with my husband because of progress. The prognosis was poor for her at the very beginning. And we did not know if she was going to ever talk, walk, or live independently. And so how do you even manage the stress that you are feeling? My focus was on medical, but I had to also think of my spouse. He is flying at night when there's no moon, landing on a carrier in the middle of the Arabian Sea. Do you think I'm going to share some of the the, the daily life that we were dealing with in the hospital with my daughter? So I think that the spouses take on more And we don't necessarily have the resources available if you're not connected in the community. So I was very mindful. And I think that's what a lot of these families that have kids with special needs in the military are trying to balance the stress and not overburdening their spouses as they're trying to serve our great country. And we've been very fortunate now that we've been in the military long enough to know where those resources are. But there were definitely some places that we saw that needs to have improvement. And so that's where really Partners in Promise was born from some of our own personal experiences after our fourth move with our daughter and uh, the challenges that we saw with her and her education. And I think that's that idea of isolation in a number of different ways. So you had some common shared stress, right? The idea of a military family moving frequently. Things are cliche for a reason. My wife and I lived in nine different places in the first 10 years of our marriage. That's That kind of thing is a common stressor that you share with the neighbor next to you because they're all on the military base with you. But then you shift from that common stressor, as difficult as it is, to an uncommon common stressor of being a family with a special needs child. That's an isolating piece. And then the isolating piece of needing to carry that burden with the spouse that's deployed. And having been through some of this, not to the extent that you and your family have, it can be a difficult thing to navigate, but it's also things that people aren't very familiar with. Listeners of the episode may not be familiar with the Exceptional Family Member Program, maybe how it works, what benefits there are, but also what limitations there are. As somebody who's done extensive work to ensure that the needs of military dependents with special needs are met. Could you explain what the EFMP program is? Absolutely. So EFMP is a DOD support program that serves close to 140,000 family members who require specialized medical or educational needs. There are three major components to the EFMP program. The first one is identification and enrolling of those family members that are deemed to have a specialized need, whether it's medical or educational. The second component is the assignment coordination to ensure that appropriate services and supports are available at that duty station where that family is being moved. That's where we see a lot of interaction with the detailer or the monitors. They want to look through that EFMP paperwork that you fill out to make sure that, yes, they do have speech therapy at this location, or yes, there's a pediatric neurologist at this location. There really is a good look at what the needs of the family are, hopefully, before they're issued in the next set of duties station orders. And the last part of EFMP is making sure that there is family support. And that's usually at the local installation where EFMP case managers, sometimes they call them case liaisons or coordinators, they really are plugged into the local community and they know what resources are available on base or in the community, through the state and even federal. So it is a great place 
for families to have their first interactions when they maybe need some support, maybe they're in crisis mode. That's where you usually go for your information because they know what's available readily for these families. And so the EFMB program is different currently for each service branch. So the Army is doing it a little bit different than the Navy, who's doing it different from the Marine Corps. So this has been an issue for greater than a decade. And this recent National Defense Authorization Act, which is our defense budget in 2021, had some fantastic language in it to make sure that the service branches are standardizing how they approach EFMP and how each of those components as we just went through is the same, no matter what base you go to. Particularly, that's important because now you see a lot of families going to joint bases. And so maybe you're a Navy family that's now going to a joint base or to an Army base. And it's very frustrating for these families that are told, I'm sorry, we can't help you. You're not the same service. And so it's been quite a bit of a challenge for EFMP families to find consistent care, consistent rules, consistent way of assignment coordination. And uh, I'm hopeful that this standardization of EFMP will bring positive incomes for our families and really make it more of a seamless transition from one duty station to another. Because that's really the, the crux of the problem is that once you get settled in a location with a child with special needs, you know who your specialized providers are, you're plugged in, hopefully you've got all of your providers and therapists in place, hopefully you have a great IEP also with a, a school that understands the unique needs of your child, and then you move again, two to three years. And so some places have wait lists because there's a lack of specialists in certain areas. And so you start all over again, both medically and educationally. And that always results in loss instruction when it comes to education, also maybe regression, maybe some life skills that they were working with the therapist. And so it's a struggle to really ensure that our kids are moving right, right or wrong. And we talk about resiliency all the time. And I love that we talk about our kids having resiliency, but we do also need to really focus on the fact that some of our kids do not bounce back easily. And instead of always paying this as like a bed of roses, we need to also acknowledge that it is going to be harder for exceptional kids and to give them the support and whatever we can do to make these PCS transitions as easy as possible. And, and a permanent change of station is not, it's common, but it's not easy in the best of circumstances. But you're absolutely right. As we left Fort Meade, Maryland, and we're going to our next duty station, it was complicated for us because we needed a pediatric cardiologist for one child and a pediatric neurologist for another child. And that added more challenges along with just the normal aspects of permanent change of station to understanding, again, like your husband knowing that there was going to be some deployments and things in the future. But those considerations also impact people's careers. I decided to go back to Afghanistan. I volunteered for a tour in Afghanistan eight months after I had returned from Afghanistan in order to keep my family here because this is where their care was. There's things that we make decisions about career-wise that are, are based around this care. And I think not a lot of people understand that. You're absolutely right. We had to make decisions within my husband's career to stay behind. So you'll find that in our survey, many EFMP families choose the GEO batch, which means they do stay behind while their spouse goes overseas or takes an unaccompanied tour somewhere to ensure that they have career progression. It's another burden for these families to stay behind, but many choose to just because they know that the appropriate services and support is there for them. And for us, my spouse was in Italy 
for 15 months. And oh, by the way, COVID broke out in the heart of Italy. And it was really tough because I was worried about my own children and ensuring that going my daughter to keep her safe. Also knowing that my spouse is dealing with you know, a breakout in his the country that he's living in. And then of course you have remote learning all of a sudden. Can you imagine how many of our kids with special needs cannot access an education virtually? It was a major stressor. And I think it comes down to, again, we'll talk about that stigma piece. Many families come to us who are not enrolled in EFMP. They may not know about EFMP. We've learned this from our data from our recent survey that we did. They may have ideas that they should be enrolled in it, but they refuse because they are worried about career progression or limited duty stations that they can go to, which is unfortunate because the more you're plugged in, the more support you will have for your children. We saw a direct relationship between being enrolled and how much money you pay out of pocket for services. And so it's beneficial for all to be able to enroll in EFMP. And then we're hopeful that we'll see more senior leaders talk about being enrolled in EFMP and how they were able to work their career with it. My husband's very mindful of that whenever he speaks to his sailors that there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's think about how this is going to help your child and we will work with you. That's the great thing about detailers is that it's very case to case and there are going to be times maybe where you do have to make a decision on geo batching, but there are enough locations out there that you can go and continue career. So my hope is that we normalize this. Let's normalize that things, it's okay to not be okay and be able to seek the help that our, our families need. And so hopefully as time goes on and we will see more of a campaign talking about the EFMP program, we'll see some change in that department. And I think that's really one of the benefits of military service is the support, the medical support in this instance, educational support for our families. Whereas if I wasn't in the military, again, my child's special needs, nowhere near as extensive as your daughter's, but still I wouldn't have been able to afford it. This is the military has so many resources, but if we're not aware of them, then people aren't taking advantage of them. And and and, and I get the sense that's where you've taken your hard-won experience in this area, and, and that's when you founded Partners in Promise, which specifically supports military children with special needs. I'd like to hear more about the work that you do there. Thank you. Partners in Promise was really inspired by my daughter. And the last move that we did here to Virginia was really difficult for us. I think I was pretty naive as we moved around when she was younger. And I was just happy to see her progress and try to keep up with her peers as much as possible. We finally overcame a lot of her medical challenges. She was able to walk, she can eat, she can do many things independently, but she still struggles. And so I think as a family, we were getting into a good place of, wow, we're doing something right. And it wasn't until the last move where I realized that perhaps there was more going on educationally than I really had my eyes on. And it was difficult. She has an IEP, which is an Individualized Education Program. And for many years, it's been a very collaborative team process to look at what her unique needs were to access an education. And we've had some great experiences in various school districts. But I will tell you that we have struggled where we are now. It's been a six-year legal battle to ensure that she received those supports and services as we came in from a different county. And initially, when we first moved here, it was always chaos. And my husband, again, was getting ready to train and to go through a very difficult nuclear training program. And so he was gone. And I was 
I knew in my gut that there's something was not right when she started school and I was seeing unfinished homework in her backpack. And I could tell that some of the accommodations that were in her IEP were not being completed or being provided to her. And I would contact the school. I was really trying hard to help in any way I could. I offered to be a volunteer in the classroom. We all want to see our kids succeed, but it really started to go downhill very quickly when I started asking questions. And it got to the point where I felt very intimidated and I didn't know where to go because I knew that the research I was doing, it didn't make sense. And what I was seeing, my daughter regress academically and socially, but yet I'm hearing that she's doing great and she's getting A's in her classes and she's on the honor roll. And you get to that point where maybe I'm being gaslighted. Maybe I'm not sane. Am I reading the regs for the federal regulations correctly? And so that's when we started to see that there was a gap of resources available to military families. Because I reached out to everyone. I reached out to the FMP program to see if they had anyone who was knowledgeable about special education. No. I reached out to the school liaison officer. They said, I'm sorry, we're not able to advocate for any family. But you might want to reach out to the district to see if they have a parent liaison which I thought was a great idea at first until I realized that the parent liaison was employed by the school district. And so that really was not a helpful situation for us. I started to reach out to the Department of Education here, who also was very empathetic, but said, I'm sorry, that really is at the local school district level. And so we felt alone. And in our situation, fortunately, officer family, I was able to look and we looked at our resources and invested in an advocate. And I understand that not every family is blessed enough to be able to afford an advocate. But I tell you what, that was the best thing at the time for my sanity to have someone else at a meeting with me just to listen and to to make sure I was not crazy, not the crazy emotional spouse, but that there were some definite issues with the implementation of her IEP. And uh, just so you know, an IEP is federally mandated through the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, which you call IDEA. And those rules and regulations are in place to help our, our kids to ensure they have access. That's really what it is. It's access to an education. And in most cases, you know, we're talking about the civilian community, they're not moving around a lot. So it's they get to develop these fantastic relationships with school districts, and you don't have to worry about them moving. But I some of our first meetings that we were having, that was some of the questions I was getting, Mrs. Norman, how are you doing? Tell me about your husband's job. And how long is that job? Oh, good two, three year tour. And so it started to dawn on me that perhaps they did not want to look outside of the toolbox that they already had and want to maybe look at what the unique needs were of my daughter. And so things went downhill from there. And even though we really tried to collaborate, I had to look outside of the area and find a special education attorney. I also had reached out to the Navy's legal office. They had no direct experience with special education. It's a very complex law. It's very specialized. You you can't just go to a normal criminal lawyer. You need someone who knows what they're doing. And so that really started the legal battle that we had when I brought in the attorney. She looked at our case and said, this is not right. And so that validation was huge for me and our family because for a long time we were struggling. We couldn't really share our story with anyone because we thought maybe it was just us. And then once I felt that we were validated, I'm okay, this is something that we need to look into. 
you know, to helping others, not just us. So partners and promise. Once I started advocating at the local level, I reached out to legislators when we were having issues. And then I realized I should be up at Capitol Hill because they're the ones who can really make change because we're not here to complain about what the problems are. Yes, we're military families, but there are federal regulations in place. It's just not working the way that everyone assumes it's working. And so how do you affect change? It's by telling your story. And that's what Partners in Promise first really began is we're storytellers. We talk to other military spouses who have kids with special needs and what their experiences have been. And then we look at the data from our survey. We take those stories and we come up with those solutions. We're very solution driven because we know that if we can make these transitions for these kids with special needs this much easier then they will be able to be independent, productive members of society because they receive the minimum education that federal law wants them to have. And so there are gaps in the way that we move around. We're not anywhere for a long period of time to actually look into using our procedural safeguards. What are the parental rights? Guess what? You're moving again two years. Is it worth the stress? Is it worth the money to find an attorney or an advocate? No, it's most people are just like, I'll accept it and I'll move on to the next location. But then the same thing happens. You get into a new school district. A lot of times they'll look at an IP and say, oh, this is great. Susie Q did so fantastic. I observed her for 30 minutes. You really don't need that one-on-one aid anymore. She'll be fine in the classroom. And oh, by the way, I know it says here that she came in with three days a week of speech, but I saw her on the playground. She was doing great. Let's just do one. And so you're happy as a parent to hear all this great feedback. But we're noticing that this is a culture within a lot of areas where they will take an IEP and minimize those disabilities. And then you come away with less and less services and support. And so that is where Partners in Promise really came in. It's solution-based. How can we protect the rights of these military children in special education? What can we do to make sure there's enough resources? So we really have this toolbox that we have created of trainings and webinars to be able for our families to learn about special education, but then also to be their child's best advocate with the correct information. We also have other audiences that we work with to be able to let them understand more about what our military families go through. And this is what you may see when you see a a stressed out family that just moved to the area who has an IEP. They're probably just getting settled. They probably are on a wait list for ABA therapy and the mother's probably struggling. And so it's important to be able to discuss all of these things and train and educate, not just the parents, the other military service organizations, DOD, legislators. That way we can look at solving the problem for our military kids, because we can't solve all the special education. That is that is a difficult problem. But if we can make things a little bit easier, particularly at those PCS transitions, our latest survey really focused on the pain points associated with the move and whether or not they can continue that access to that appropriate patient, which by the way, we call FAPE which is the free appropriate public education. And so we're just hoping that through our trainings, through our education, through working with the legislators to solve some of the problems and some of the gaps that we've seen, that we'll be able to take care of our kids. And it's really important, I think, and we see this in many different areas, is as the military goes, so goes the nation, is that you may not be able to solve all of special education, where I as a therapist may not be able to solve all of the stigma around mental health, but just as we've seen in the homeless or the employment population, those things that work in this highly specialized population can be applied 
applied to the wider population at large. And so I just really appreciate your effort, your advocacy in not letting this issue drop. So if people wanted to find out more about the work that you're doing, if they want to find more about Partners in Promise, how can they do that? We have a website called www.thepromiseact.org, and you can sign up for our newsletter to learn more about what our resources are. We are running a fantastic educational webinar series called Trust Your Gut Series, because like I said, not everyone who comes to our website is enrolled in EFMP. And they may have feelings or thoughts that perhaps something is going on with their child, but they're not quite sure. So this Trust Your Gut series really looks at separating fact from fiction. And it will give these families, I think, the tools to be able to know whether or not they need to make that next step in contacting their pediatrician or just be aware of this may be something to keep your eye on in the future. And we are just so excited about the growth that we had in this last year. Again, we are just military spouses. All of us have kids with special needs. We have attorneys, advocates, professionals. We're really that boots on the ground perspective that sometimes you don't see with other organizations. We've lived it. We had the experience. And I think that has been very relatable to our families to know that you have someone who's advocating for you and your children. And so we hope that folks will look at our series, come join us. And uh, because as we've talked about this before in other places, we're always stronger together. One voice is not enough to be able to affect change. And that's really where we're hoping with our, our giving these tools, be able to provide trainings and to look at some of the change we're making legislatively, that this will all help our military families and their readiness so that they can do what they do best, which is serve this great country. Now, that's great. I'm glad to be able to share the work that you're doing. We're definitely going to make sure that all of those are in the show notes. Thank you for coming on the show today, Michelle. Thank you so much, Dwayne. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. One of the points my conversation with Michelle brought up for me was highlighting the relatively unknown burden that military spouses have. I think it's something that those who may not be familiar with military families think they know about, but the reality of the burden can be so much greater. Think back to Michelle's story of going through medical concerns with her daughter after she was born and then having to also be concerned not to share too much with her husband because he's in a dangerous location doing dangerous things. If you haven't served, think about one of the most heartbreaking, stressful family emergencies that you have experienced and the support that you had that helped you through that. But for some military spouses, it's not just not having the support, but having the support and not accessing it for the care of your service member. And having access to that support is another thing that we sometimes take for granted. When the family serves, it's not just the service member that's removed from their family of origin, it's the spouse as well. My wife comes from a big family, both on her mother's side and her father's side. So if we were there with them and something like this happened, we would have had all the support from brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and cousins and everything else. But we were in Germany when both of our kids were born, thousands of miles away from any immediate family support. So the military spouse support network kicks in, and that's appreciated. Now, I've heard people say, well, you knew what you were in for when you married a service member, as if that makes the burden and the hardship that much better. But when I proposed to my wife, I didn't say, oh, by the way, we're going to live in nine apartments in the next 10 years, and I'm going to be gone for at least half of the next 15, still on board with this. Heck, I didn't even know that myself. 
So if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with the unique burdens of a military family, take some time to listen to the stories of the military spouse. You might be surprised. The second point that I would like to make is related to this. Michelle's story is an example of the extreme sacrifices that service members make. I want to be careful not to turn this into a service-worshipping exercise in which I lament about how hard it is for those who volunteered to serve in the military, and I don't want to play the victim. I also think, however, that it's important to impress upon those listeners who may not be familiar with the military of just how much service members and their families sacrifices on behalf of their service to our nation. Some of these sacrifices are ones that people are familiar with. You could go deploy to a combat zone. You can get shot and killed. But there are sacrifices that are probably a lot more closer to home that are not often talked about. You'll be removed from any social and emotional support that you might have had. You'll have to leave a place that you've been familiar with your entire life and go to a place that you're totally unfamiliar with. And just when you start to get comfortable there, you'll have to do it again, and probably again several years after that. For military spouses, your employment history is going to be sporadic and chaotic. You will likely be unemployed or underemployed. If you wish to build a professional career, it'll be difficult, both because there are licensing requirements that vary from state to state, whether you want to be a lawyer or a realtor, but also because building a successful business practice takes time and relationships within a certain community. On top of that, if you have other challenges, like Michelle's family with the special needs child, then the difficulties increase exponentially. I've done some work with our local schools in my community, and I can tell you that special education services in our country is a huge area of concern for local school districts and educational institutions. It's a giant part of the budget, it's a large part of the staff, and even if you happen to be in a location with a large military population, like both Michelle and I are, the district may not be the best at meeting the needs of the student. So when we think about the sacrifice that service members and their families make, know that the sacrifice is probably much greater than you might imagine it to be. So the challenges that military spouses can experience leads me to the Psych Armor resource for this week, the series of stress first aid courses for caregivers. Many caregivers are not just caregivers for their wounded, ill, or injured service members or veterans, but a caregiver for their special needs child, as Michelle is. The Stress First Aid series is a set of seven courses that discusses the various stressors that caregivers are presented with on a daily basis and details the importance of self-care. Dr. Patricia Watson of the National Center for PTSD presents tools and coping mechanisms caregivers can use by highlighting five core essential elements. PsychArmor hopes that these courses will aid the great resilience our caregivers demonstrate constantly as they tirelessly attend to both the visible and invisible wounds of our American heroes and their families. So thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at psycharmor.org forward slash BTM17, as well as on the PsychArmor website. You will find the link to everything we talked about in today's show, as well as hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. Thank you for joining me on this episode and for continuing to join us on this journey. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation, and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we would like for you to do that, but make sure you let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode. And until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.